So Tara began the evening talking about the theme of all in. And when she first explained that theme to me, she um, talked about that that theme came out of a passage in the book of Matthew. And that passage, um, Jesus says this, and I think we might have some slides. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so that is the theme passage this year for Girls' Night Out. And tonight, we're going to start in just the first portion of that that talks about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And we're going to start there because our love for God informs our love for others. It directs it, okay? So um, as we're looking at that passage, we're going to start by defining a few terms. So love in this passage is from the Greek word agapao. And that word means this. It's an intelligent, purposeful attitude of esteem and devotion. It's a selfless, purposeful, outgoing attitude that desires to do good to the one loved. That's the type of love that Jesus is calling us to have for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jen Wilkin, um, writes in her book, In His Image, that this type of love looks like the full deployment of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The totality of our being in the active love of God. And even for me to understand that, because these days my brain operates at a very slow pace because I have three children that have drained it all out of me. Um, I had to look up, what, what does that word deployment mean? And that word deployment means the action of bringing resources into effective action. And so it's this idea that with all that we are, with our heart and with our soul and with all our mind, we're bringing all that it is into the active pursuit of loving God. And so she goes on and she says this, because I think this helps to define it even better. Whatever we desire, we seek as unto the Lord. Whatever we will, we purpose as unto the Lord. Whatever we think, we reason as unto the Lord. And whatever we do, we work as unto the Lord. So see, this idea of being all in, and what Jesus is talking about here, comes under the understanding that we see life as defined in the Bible. And a lot of you have heard me say my favorite verse. My favorite verse is John 17, 3, where Jesus says this, this is life that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So knowledge of God and relationship is how Christ and the Bible define life. Okay, so if we're considering that, then I want to back up and, and consider back in the very beginning in the book of Genesis where we see the description of when God made man. And uh, the book of Genesis says that man was made in whose image? 
the image of God, right? Okay, so when we consider that, we need to consider of that description would be made in the image of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit prior to making man for all of eternity past, because they have always been so infinitely, infinitely back in the future, they were enjoying this deep, rich relationship with each other. And then they made man that man could enjoy that relationship. See, a lot of times when we, when we um, think about um, Adam and Eve, we might not remember that Adam and Eve prior to the fall, they actually enjoyed relationship with the pre-incarnate Christ. The Bible says that they actually walked together with him in the garden and enjoyed that relationship. And then sin entered in. And that sin then caused a separation between God and man. That what we were made for, that relationship itself, was now broken. And a lot of times we might think about, okay, well, I've, I've heard the gospel, and I know that the reason why Jesus came was to save me so that I wouldn't have to go to hell, that I wouldn't have to spend eternity there. And that's true that he did come to do that, but we don't want to neglect that he saved us from that, but what did he save us to? He saved us to relationship with him, relationship that can be enjoyed now and then when we're face to face with him for all of eternity, worshiping his name in heaven. That's what he saved us to. And so if he saved us to this relationship, because what's happened is that our sin caused a separation between God and man, and Christ bridged that gap, right, to be able to bring us into this relationship that all we have to do is to cast our belief on the truth of the gospel, that Christ died, buried, and rose again, died for our sins, and we're brought back into this relationship. And if that is what Christ came to give everything that he is to us, to make that, that relationship restored, not just to save us from hell, then what, wouldn't it make sense that with everything that we are, that we would, too, desire to invest in this relationship? So um, we're going to go into a further passage in Scripture that really describes what it is that Jesus desires in this relationship. We're gonna look in John 15, and in John 15, Jesus was spending his last really close time of fellowship with his very dearest friends. And in this passage, he describes the type of relationship that he and his father would make possible through Jesus going to the cross. And it's the type of relationship that he wants to have with all of us. So we're gonna start, we're gonna kind of work our way through this passage slowly. So can we have the next slide up there? Okay, so this is what Jesus said, and he used an analogy. He said, I am the true vine. So he is the source of life. And my father is the vine dresser. Now that word vine dresser means gardener, the one that takes care of the branches. And he says, every branch in me, now we're gonna stop there, every branch in me is talking about believers, those who are united with the vine. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Okay, now that, 
term there, takes away, is actually better translated lifts up. So every branch that is not bearing fruit, the vine dresser, the gardener, comes along and he lifts up that branch into a place so that it might be able then to bear fruit. And so he says, every branch that does not bear fruit, the father, the vine dresser, lifts it up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it or he cleans it up so that it may bear more fruit. So the relationship that Jesus wants to have with his children, with his people, is a relationship in which the love that he has for us and the love that we have for him results in fruit bearing. Okay, So we're going to go um, to the next couple of verses here. So he says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. Okay, abide is not a word that we regularly use just in everyday conversation, so I'm going to help to, to make sense of it. So abide means to be settled down, to be at home, to be at rest. It can also mean to remain in the position you were placed. It conveys the idea of being at ease with someone. So in relation to Christ, it means continuing in close communion with him, and it indicates a constancy in relation with Christ. So as you go along, you might read it like this. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Be at ease in me, and I will be at ease in you. So to kind of flesh that out a little bit more, um, you might think about who it is in your relationships just with people that you are most at ease with? Who are you just really comfortable? You can be in their home, you can be in their presence, and you just feel kind of this settled down feeling. You know what I'm talking about? And usually that's because of time spent in that relationship. And then you might think about, okay, what about somebody that you don't know? Like if I had a new neighbor that moved in across the street, and I went into their house one Saturday morning without, you know, even knocking. I just went in, and I walked in, and I opened their cupboard, and I grabbed a mug out, and I grabbed their pot of coffee, and I poured it in. First of all, I actually would never do that because I don't drink coffee, but let's pretend <laughs> that I poured myself some water out of their Brita filter, okay? And, um, and then I... Uh, went over to their table after I had, I forgot, I grabbed their newspaper off the front porch, and I sat down, and they were still in bed, and I just hung out in their house. Would that happen in a stranger's house? No, but likely your close friends, that might happen, right? Because you're, you're at ease, you're at home with them. You can let yourself in the back door. And that's because likely there's been time spent, there's been investment in that relationship, Probably there's been sacrifice. There's been hard times that you've been through together, and you just you feel at home with them. That's the type of relationship that Jesus is calling us to have with him. And so I want you guys to step, just consider for a minute, is that the type of relationship that you have with Christ, where you feel at ease when you're with him, where you feel settled down, and where you feel at home with him? That's an important question. Because in order to be 
settle down and at ease with him, we need to spend time with him. We need to be in his word. The Bible says that the Bible is actually the very word of God. And so this is how he speaks to us. We need to be in his word very regularly. It's not prescripted, but it's a lot. We need to be spending time with him in prayer. We need to be getting to know him, and we need to be enjoying him. And I'm saying this out of just love. By the way, I love you guys. So many of you have come up to me tonight and texted me in all sorts of business um, that you're praying for me. I love you. And I'm saying it out of love, but I'm also saying it out of experience because I want you to know, hi, Allison, I just saw you. I love you. Um, I, I, I just, um, out of experience, that I know what it's like to be saved but not to be abiding because I lived, I would say, probably the first six to seven years of my Christian life without abiding, with not being at home and settled down in the Lord. I didn't know him. And when I would try and open up the Bible, it didn't make sense to me. It was a struggle. Prayer time was really perfunctory. It was just what was left over. And see, I kind of saw the Christian life again as, well, what I'm saved from. I'm not going to hell. And I know, like some people say that they know him, I didn't really know him except what other people would say about him. And I sort of compartmentalized. Here's like the things that I do that are Jesus related and then here's all the rest of my life. Because the truth is I did not see Jesus as my life. But the Bible says that Christ is our life. I remember um, even just shortly after Josh and I were married, and by the way, he married me by the grace of God, because that guy's been walking with Jesus since he was five. But um, uh, I remember we lived in an apartment, and there was a, a dry erase board um, in our apartment, and in the, in the bottom corner of it, there was an acronym that one of us had written out, and it was Waybrat. Now, Waybrat stood for What About Your Bible Reading Application Today, okay? Good grief. Okay, when I walked in the door most days, that was glaring guilt thing to me because I wasn't really reading the word very much. Um, because, see, as people, we are prone to do different than what Christ calls us to do. Christ calls us to relationship, but we are prone to do really what, what it's more relig religion, and that's where there's a set of things that you follow that you need to do. And so I thought, well, if I just do this, if I just open up the Bible and look for what it tells me to do, then I'll, you know, be growing or whatnot. But the truth is that there are many things that the Bible says that we are to do. There are, there are commands, there are things that we need to obey. But that comes secondary to first knowing God. The Bible is a book about God. It's the book that, that tells us and portrays to us who he is, his character. It's how God again speaks to us is through the pages of scripture. And so I was getting it backwards. And you know what? I wasn't very successful at it because I couldn't follow the, the commands because guess what? I was trying to do it on my own rather than God doing it through me um, as, as, as a point of relationship. Um, so the thing is, is that 
in this abiding relationship, it's not something that we can just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, we're going to do it. We're going to create this deepening relationship with Christ. That's a relationship that as we lean into him and as we tell him, with all that we are, we desire to love you, God, that's something that then we need to depend on him to do in us. It's never dependent on ourselves, which there's great hope in that because if Christ was able to separate the, the, the expanse between hell and heaven, if he could do that, if he was able to raise up out of the grave and that tomb was empty the third day, if he's able to do that, then he is able to bring us into an ever-deepening relationship with him. Isn't that awesome news? I think it's awesome. Um, okay, so I'm getting parched. All right, so now we're going to go on here um, a little bit further on. So, um, Jesus says, the branch, believers, cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So, unless it's at ease and settled down in the vine. So, neither can you unless you abide or, or settle down and at ease in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing okay so the relationship he wants to have with us is a relationship of fruit bearing okay and in 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 life there are two possibilities as far as what type of fruit we can bear okay what type of fruit can be produced there's something called the fruit of the spirit and then there's another thing called the fruit or the deeds of the flesh those are our two possibilities and what is produced is actually evidence of the invisible power that's at work in us inwardly, okay? So what's seen is who's in charge in our hearts, right? And so um, the fruit of the Spirit, it, Paul talks about in Galatians 5.22, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those characteristics look like God. When you read the pages of Scripture, those are things that look like his character. And so when we are walking, as the Bible talks, by means of the Spirit, when we are settled down and at ease in Christ, that what happens is that fruit is borne out and we look more and more like Jesus because those things are like him, right? But on the flip side, when we are not like I remember recognizing Christ as our life and we are out actually pursuing all the other things in, in pursuit of life, then what happens is actually there's another fruit that's made out of that and that's the fruit of the flesh. And it's not, it's not great compared to who God is and who his character is. Um, and, and that is, these are some really big words, but thank you, NASB, which I love. Um, <clears throat> the deeds of the flesh are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Idolatry is simply seeking after anything that isn't the Lord, right? Sorcery, enmities, so fights, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, 
envying, drunkenness, carousing. That's what it looks like when we are not pursuing Christ. And there's going to be moments of that, again, um, throughout our lives because we are not going to be perfect till we get to go home and be with the Lord, right? We still are going to have sin that's impacting us. But more and more and more, Christ desires that we're bearing fruit that looks like him, okay? So we're going to go on in this passage. Um, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, if anyone is not settled down in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Okay, so in all things, we always look into God's word, and we look at the context of what he's talking about, all right? And he's talking about abiding and fruit-bearing. And he introduces a new character on the scene, and that new character is they. Okay, so... They gather, them in the, uh, they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. They is referring to people who have not yet proclaimed Christ as their Savior. The un unsaved world is the they. And so um, here's what he's saying, is that <clears throat> the world is watching believers. They're watching our lives. And the true fruit of the Spirit that is evidence in abiding believers' lives is on display, and that fruit looks like who, again? It looks like Jesus, right? And so the fruit of the Spirit that's born out, the world sees that and they see Jesus because people see a difference between when we're walking according to the Spirit and we're not. People are watching, right? But when we don't abide and our lives don't bear any reflection of Christ, what does the world see Christianity as? It's hypocrisy, right? It's hypocrisy. They say this Christian Christ thing is just worthless. Um, Lewis Berry Chafer, he wrote this. He said, those believers who do not abide, who are not settled down and at ease in communion with Christ, those saved are powerless with respect to testimony and all service. Being broken off from communion, they are withered in spiritual power. And the judgment which falls immediately upon them is not from God, however, but it's from men. See, the Bible says that those whom the Father has given to the Son, none can be snatched out of his hand. So this isn't talking about, well, now I'm going to hell. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about <clears throat> when believers are not walking by means of the Spirit, that um, it's, it's, it's kind of bad for our testimony, right? Because the world is full of people who've had really bad experiences with Christians and with the church. Some of us here have had bad experiences with Christians and with the church. You see, God understands that sanctification, sanctification is a word that means being set apart um, to the Lord. And God understands that sanctification is a process right? There's a lot of cleaning up that still needs to happen in us, right? But that's a concept that's really difficult for the world to understand. It's like you walk one thing, you say one thing, and you walk another. There was a lot of hypocrisy. I, I cringe at the type of life that I lived prior to beginning to walk together with the Lord because I said, I love Jesus, and then turned and did something that did not look anything like him. Praise God, he can redeem even that, right? So, um, 
I'm going to read this verbatim because I think this is really important. Um, Our daily choices of how we spend our time and our resources, remember that idea of deploying all that we are in pursuit of him, that impacts not just us and our relationship with him. It doesn't just affect the relationships that are closest to us, but those choices affect people who have still not come to Christ because they're watching, okay? All right, we're going to go on. Um, He says, uh, then, um, yes, that's where we're at. Okay, uh, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We're proving that out to the world, right? The fruit is seen, and people then are seeing seeing the evidence of this. So here's the thing. We, again, have to take this in context. We can't grab that and say, well, he says, ask whatever I want, and I can have it. No, he's talking about fruit, fruit bearing and abiding. And so what he's saying is that if you are settled down in me, and my words are settled down in you, And that means that you are desiring to bear fruit. You want that. That means that you're desiring to put me on display. That means you are desiring to love me with all that you are. He's saying, you know what? That's going to be done for you. Isn't that an awesome promise? That's awesome. He is saying that will be done. And then out of that, this is the so coolest thing, then out of that is that he is glorified. A good opinion is brought of God. And then more fruit is, is born out of that. And so for those of you here who are like, I, I just want that. I just want to love God with all that I am. I just want to serve him. I want him to be my life. I want to walk with him. I want to put him on display. Do you know what? He's going to do it. You just tell him that, and he will do that in you, which is an awesome thing. There is nothing like living for the Lord, is there? There isn't anything like it. All right. So then he goes on and he says this. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Be settled down in that. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So here's the thing. In order to be in this close relationship where with all that we are, we're deploying all that we are in seeking him, that requires implicit obedience to his commands. We can't, we can't look into God's word and say, I'm going to take some of this, and I'm going to obey some of this, but I'm going to leave other stuff to the side. Because what happens is when we don't um, obey God's word, that's sin. And what does sin do? Sin causes a separation in us. It's not an eternal separation because once you're saved, you are always saved. But it does cause a break in relationship. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, right? And so um, the beautiful thing 
about the gospel is that because Jesus already paid the price for us, we don't have to go into this doing of how to work our, ourselves back into this relationship. We can simply repent. That's the awesome thing about the gospel, is we can simply repent and be brought back into relationship with him. I was reminded of this last week. Um, the Bain household has been having a rough month. We'll just say it's been, it's been, it's been difficult. Um, and uh, we have one child that historically has been very difficult to parent. And so I feel like we've done a lot of praying over that, and we've gotten help with that and different things. And so, praise God, that child was actually doing well for the last two weeks or so. And then there's this other child who, who sometimes I might esteem as nearly perfect, who is, you know, sort of can fly under the radar and who is very internal, an internal processor, kind of like me, and so it's hard to, he's, he's hard to target. I only have one he, so there you know who it is. Okay, um, and I don't know, it was just, we've been having a rough month, and it seemed like every time I would go to him and try and, like, talk with him about something, it would just, there would be all this emotion. I don't, like, I don't know what to do with boy emotion. You're not supposed to be emotional. Um, and uh, one, it was actually rock salt, um, if, uh, D6, Tara, I'd like it if you guys started more at 5 p.m. rather than at 6.45 p.m. because then my nights wouldn't be so late. It was last Tuesday night. It was late. My bedtime is 8.45. They did not roll into my garage until 9 p.m. And I asked that child to take a quick shower. His definition of quick is different than mine. Um, anyways, he and I had a bit of a back-and-forth discussion, and I walked away from that going, what have I done? I, don't, I have no idea what I'm doing in parenting this child. I just don't know what to do, and maybe the way that I approached him is going to result in long-term damage. Maybe I've been approaching him all this time. How has he been flying under the radar this long, and now I see this thing in his heart, and I have got not a clue what to do about it. And so I prayed with him, and when I, he went off to bed, and the next morning, I was up quite early, and immediately, I just felt this sinking, just guilty feeling. That, and, and there was just sort of thoughts that started coming into my head, like, well, how, will, how will he turn out in the long run? Because I have like done this thing to him, and, and this could mean this for him. And just these you know, fears started to come, come in. And I was feeling hopeless. I was feeling guilty. I was feeling downtrodden. But praise God for the Holy Spirit, because then he reminded me, the Holy Spirit reminded me of the truth of God's word, that how my he child turns out is not up to me, right? I mean, I lived a pretty crazy life, and God is at work in me, and how it's, it's not up to me that I parent perfectly. It's up to God. It's God who is faithful. He is faithful. He is dependable. He loves this child far more than I do. And the reality is, I don't have any say-so in, in this kid's heart. That's God who's at work. And so I'm thankful that I could repent and say, God, I know that I didn't respond right in that moment. And I'm thankful that all I have to do is simply repent and I can still have hope in the one true God. Isn't that an awesome thing? Because I, I'm not dependable. And see, the more that we grow in Christ, the more that we look into the word, what can happen, what often happens, is the more we realize actually how selfish and how, um, how 
different than God we actually are. We, we recognize our sin more and more. And the enemy of our souls would like us to think then that we're just hopeless, that, that there isn't any hope there for us, and that we just have to live in this place of being so um, in stark contrast to God. But that's not true. The truth is that we can have great hope in who God is because he is at work, and he is at work bringing us more and more and more into this relationship with him. I'm going to read this verbatim, too, because this helps me to consider it. So we have a great heavenly father who is what? According to this passage, he's the vine dresser, the gardener, the one who ever so tenderly works to promote the union of the branches to the vine. And he cleans and he prunes the branches and he continually is pointing them to their savior so that the clarifying vision of who he is results not in despair, but in worship. I have to tell you that I was on my way to the gym that morning, 4.35 a.m., and God intervened in my heart, and it did result in worship because I'm like, he loves that child more than I do. Thank you, God. Okay? So, and that leads me into the last little bit here where he says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is what he's promising us, that as we abide and we walk together with him, that his joy, the joy that comes, the only real joy that there is that comes in a united, life-giving relationship with God is going to be made full, which means that it's going to be even more and more and more matured. And this is it. It's that joy that comes with loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. So there's a sheet on your tables. There's actually a sheet. There's actually a big card and a little card. And so pass those around. Don't read them yet. Um, but what I'd like you to do um, in the next few days this is the bigger sheet is a prayer that was written out by Ruth Myers. She's just a lovely lady that is now at home with Jesus. And so what I'd like you to do is sometime in the next few days, take that home and spend some time between you and the Lord just going through that prayer. And then there's a really cool Bible verse, one of my favorite Bible verses there out of Psalm 27. And spend some time just considering the words of that. And then what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to pray, and I'd like you to ask God what it is that he might have you do in order to continue to deepen in this relationship with him. Is there anything that you need to repent of? Because if there is, if, there's, if, if, you're, if, if you're living in a lifestyle of sin, you cannot abide. You need to repent, okay? Is there anything that he might have you do in terms of spending more time in his word, in, in terms of prayer? And just ask him. Again, we're not, it's not prescriptive. The Bible doesn't say you have to spend you know, so much time in the word and so much time in prayer. But it's, if you need to know somebody, and we need to know him, we need to be about his word, and we need to be about um, prayer. So ask him what practical steps you might take. And then begin in that. 
okay? And here's what I want to say too, is that the Christian life is not just a continuous tra trajectory straight toward him where you're always, you know, just chasing him. It kind of can go like this a little bit, okay? So if you begin, let's say you begin to begin to seek him more, and then you do, um, you're doing that, and then, and then for a couple of days, you, you don't do that. That doesn't mean that you're unable to, because again, the ability is never in ourselves. So I don't want you to go to a place of feeling hopeless, like, well, I just, I guess I just can't abide, because it's not dependent upon us, okay? So then you just begin again, all right? That's an awesome thing. We can just begin again. And then the other thing is I, um, I want to say is that, um, this is a plug because I love growth groups here, is that here at Salem Heights Church, we have um, women's growth groups. And what women's growth groups are is they're Bible studies that we offer on Tuesday nights, Wednesday mornings, and Wednesday at noon. And for me, in order to get into God's word on a continuous basis, I needed to be with women who could hold me accountable to that. That's what I needed. And so I want you to encourage you, come. If, if it works into your schedule, come. You can come, talk to me, talk to your table leader or whatever, and we can get you plugged into a group. And these groups are small groups, and what you do is you, um, you go home during the week and you look into God's word for yourself. You spend that time with him, and then you come back together and you talk about God's word, and you will be blessed by it. So if you want to find out more about that, let us know. I'm excited about what God is going to do this year. He is going to work. He promises that as we seek him, he will bless that, and we will have more and more joy that happens as a result of walking together with him. I'm going to pray, and I think we're going to worship. Okay. Dear Lord, I just thank you for how faithful you are. I thank you for your goodness, and I thank you that you never call us to anything that you are not going to equip us to do, and you've called us to this relationship with you. Lord, work in us. Draw us near and um, help us to know you more. Pray these things in your name. Amen.